Our text today comes from a continuation of our study through Romans chapter 1. In fact, we'll conclude the introduction to the book of Romans today with our study of verses, of just two verses, or our beginning study of these two verses, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul there writes what many call his thesis statement for the book of Romans. A thesis statement is uh, a declaration of the author, if you will, of what he intends to talk about in the research paper or in the study that he has put together. And this is what um, many believe, and I personally subscribe to the idea, that is what Paul says here in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Let me read that, and we'll go on with our study. The Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. These two verses contain some of the most powerful statements in all of the word of God. That very phrase, the just shall live by faith, as we'll study next week, is found not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. It is a uh, it is a phrase, it is a saying, something that we can quote, something that we can study and live by because our faith, as we saw it said last week, is the most important part of our lives. It's the most important part of our character. It's the most important part of who we are and what we do. If our faith fails, everything else fails. We can lose our homes, we can lose our cars, our jobs, our health, and all of that's going to be okay. But if our faith fails, then we are ruined, we are broken, and we are lost. The just shall live by faith. I've entitled this study, Unashamed, because the Apostle Paul begins the, this phrase, this thesis statement, by saying, I am un, not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And he gives, goes on and gives a reason why. And these reasons, and, and this is going to be built upon over and over again and again throughout the study of the book of Romans. As we begin this study, I want to ask the question. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to them who believe in, uh, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But what is the gospel? What is the gospel? What does the gospel consist of? Have you listened to uh, very many preachers on the radio or on the television? You're going to hear that the gospel is the story of Jesus Christ. Well, yes, but is that all? Is there more? We often say in our teaching, in our study, and together that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That seems to me on the surface to be incomplete. I want to study a little bit today about what I believe a full understanding of the gospel is. And as we hopefully prepare our minds for the upcoming week to defend the gospel, to go out and to preach the gospel by our lives, by our words, I think that this type of lesson will help us to have a better understanding of what the gospel actually is. One of the main facts to believe about the, God, 
one of the main facts about the gospel is that the gospel is something to be believed. The gospel is something to be believed. We read in the scriptures, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We hear it on the airwaves today. Believe on Jesus Christ for salvation. Of course, most of the time when men are saying that, they stop right there and fall seriously short of what the gospel is. I want to tell you today, there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Mankind cannot be saved by any other name than the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want to point out to you that the gospel is not the law of Moses. Not the Old Testament law. Now the Old Testament is important to us as New Testament Christians. You cannot have the New Testament without the Old Testament. It is the foundation, the building blocks, if you will. It reveals to us who Jesus is before Jesus was born. It reveals to us the characteristics of God, the Father. It reveals to us the works of the Holy Spirit. It tells us about God's judgment. It tells us about God's love, about God's mercy, about forgiveness. It tells us about sin. The, New, the Old Testament is necessary. But the gospel is not the Old Testament. I've said and I maintain that I could preach an entire meeting of gospel sermons out of the Old Testament. There's plenty of gospel, good news in the Old Testament. That's what the word gospel means. Evangeline or good news. There's plenty of good news in the Old Testament. That while God is just, He is also the justifier of those who love Him and who serve Him. He is also merciful. He will forgive when repentance is done. We see that over and over again in the Old Testament. One of the prime examples is the story of Nineveh. You recall the story. Jonah the prophet was called to go to Nineveh and preach. That judgment is coming just three days or, or a certain amount of time. And Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Jonah, like too many of us today, had a problem with the Ninevites. Sometimes we have a problem with other people and we're unwilling to share the gospel with them. Jonah was unwilling to share the gospel. The good news that judgment's coming. Get ready. Judgment's coming. He was unwilling to go and share it with them. And so he fled to Tarshish. On the way, the storm came. And he was thrown overboard to save the lives of the sailors. And he was swallowed by a great fish. And the great fish swam to the shores of Nineveh and vomited him out on the banks there. And he went and preached. And what did God do? Jonah's message was three days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Nineveh repented. They sat in dust and ashes and shaved their heads and all types of signs of repentance. And God spared Nineveh, a horrible city. From all commentaries and historians that I've read, Nineveh was uh, on par with Sodom and Gomorrah in its wickedness and in its abomination that it supported, much like our society today. The gospel is the good news. And yes, that can be found in the Old Testament. Because it tells us about who God is. It tells us about His mercy, 
His goodness, His justness. But the gospel is not the law of Moses. The gospel is found in the person of Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ who left heaven. The scriptures say he was obedient. He became obedient and came to this earth and died for us. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 through 11, we know that the law is good. The law was good. The Old Testament law was good. If a man used it lawfully, what had happened in those days is what happens too often in our circles today is people became focused on the law and that's, that was their gospel. That was their whole system of faith was keeping the law, dotting every I and crossing every T and making sure every punctuation mark was in place. Those things are important. The details are important. The gospel is more than the law of Moses. Paul continues in verse 9, Knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous men, but the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for the murderers and men-stealers, uh, murderers of fathers and mothers and manslayers, for whoremongers and for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The Apostle Paul is saying, the law was good, but the law is not the gospel. The gospel belongs to God, and it was committed to the Apostle Paul. Paul continues in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Yes, the details are important. It is absolutely paramount, if we're going to be faithful, that we worship God correctly. The details are important. No musical instrument, one cup, unbroken bread, unbroken unleavened bread on the table, men doing the teaching. These details are important. But we can keep all of those things and still be lost. Being baptized, immersed in water, is important. I want you to listen to me. That's a form of how we obey the gospel. But if our heart is not involved, if our faith is not involved, we're just getting wet. And it means absolutely nothing. Many men have been baptized in water supposedly for the remission of their sins. And people rejoiced. Six months, a year goes by, and suddenly they're not faithful to church anymore. Suddenly they're not interested in godly things anymore. Why? Their heart wasn't involved. They were not truly converted. They did not obey the gospel. Yes, baptism is how we obey the gospel. But our heart has to be involved. Our faith is a part of that obedience. 
In Galatians chapter 2, or chapter 3 rather, beginning in verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes, This only what I learned from you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit that worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law? or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Understand, please. Abraham did not grow up having the law of Moses. Abraham was not a Christian, did not grow up in a Christian home. Abraham was not a Jew. He predated all of those things. He did not have the revelation of the Ten Commandments. It was before those things came. He did not understand who God was when God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees to a land that he would be shown. But Abraham obeyed God in faith. What was that the Apostle Paul says? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We're not talking about a blind faith here. Not even with Abraham. Abraham had some sort of revelation. The scriptures doesn't say. He just received the call to go to the land of Canaan. That God was going to show him. And he obeyed in faith. Trusting that God was going to take care of him. At the end of, the, of his life, Abraham was counted as one of the greatest men in the world. And as we scan back over the pages of history, Abraham stands out as the father of the faithful. And he's pointed out by three world religions as one of the greatest men to have ever lived. Why? Was it because he was baptized in water for the remission of sins? No. Was it because he was circumcised, even though he was circumcised? No. It was because he believed God. The gospel is fact to be believed. This is what I'm trying to get across to us. Yes, there are things that we must do. There are laws that we must keep in order to be faithful to God, that we must obey. But our righteousness does not come strictly from our obedience. Our righteousness comes like that of Abraham because we believe God. What good does it do a person to be washed in water for the forgiveness of their sins if they are an atheist? Does no good whatsoever. An agnostic being immersed goes down and comes up an agnostic. Goes down dry and comes up wet. That's the only change that happens in his life. We could force somebody to be baptized. The stories are told of Charlemagne and, and his uh, exploits. Uh, commanding his troops to hold swords to people's hand, heads. And command, make them uh, be baptized. Make them confess Christ. 
These pagans didn't know what they were confessing. They were just trying to save their life. Did no good whatsoever. The gospel is facts to be believed. It requires faith. Now this faith is based on evidence, and that's something that we'll talk about in, in future studies throughout the study in Romans. But secondly today, I want you to understand that the gospel is commands to be obeyed. And I've ordered them this way on purpose. We must believe first and then obey. We can't get the cart before the horse. One may be reasonably curious, how do you obey a fact? How do you obey, for instance, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? As we are commanded to do in Romans chapter 6, which we refer to many times when we're offering the invitation. Is this compared to obeying the rising of the sun? These are logical questions that one could ask. One obeys a fact by imitating that historical fact in their life. That's how we obey the facts of the gospel. This relates to the gospel by comparing our conversion to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It explains why Jesus' birth and life is often left out of the command to obey the gospel. Everybody is born. That's not part of our conversion. It should be obvious that an unborn child cannot be baptized or have faith. Some believe that at the moment of conception, though, a baby is condemned and cursed as a sinner. He, is under, he or she is under the wrath of God. Both concepts are equally without foundation in the scripture. An infant, a little toddler child with no investigative power, to understand or to learn cannot obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because, as our first point talked about, it requires faith. One must have faith that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why too oft, very often preachers as they go about the countryside preaching the gospel when little children want to be baptized, preachers will say, no, it's not ready. They're too young. They're too little because they are. We've already seen that the first issue of the gospel is the facts to be believed. The faith that is necessary, we must understand. These historical facts must be obeyed in our life. I've referenced Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5 say, the Apostle Paul says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up by the dead, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. I've tried to draw it before, and I'm such a poor artist, I'm not going to try it this morning. The motions of going down into the water signifies our death. It's symbolic of our death, our dying. We die with Christ. We're crucified with Christ, the Apostle Paul says in another place. In that emotion, in that action of being put under the water, we die and we are buried with Christ. 
And when we come up out of that water, we are resurrected into new life, being planted together in the likeness of his death. It's a likeness. That's what baptism is. A likeness that we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. One of the most important and intriguing doctrinal statements in the word of God is found right here. In order for us to put on the new man, we must first put off the old. That's why one of the most important steps in obedience to the gospel is repentance. That's what that means. Put off the old man. Turn away a change of mind. To accomplish this, true repentance, we must be crucified with Christ. The entire book of Romans is written to show us how this is accomplished, how this is finished in our lives. We are crucified with Christ. We put off the old man and we put on the new. Verse 4 explains it in simple terms. Buried with him by baptism unto death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also should walk in newness of life. We are immersed in water, baptized. That's what the word immersed means, or baptized, when you see it in the scriptures, means immersion for the forgiveness of sins. In that water we die. It's no longer I, but Christ. We're joining Jesus on the cross. When we come up out of that water, we are to be a new creature. We then clothe ourselves with Christ. The decisions that we make, the attitudes that we develop, the habits that we form, that's what that means, to be clothed with Christ. We put on humility like Christ had. We put on purity like Christ had. Knowing this, verses 6 and 7 in Romans 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. We're dead to the world. We're dead to flesh. We're dead to the devil. That the body of sin might be destroyed. The idea of destroying the body of sin means that we've turned our back on it. And it is no more desirous to us. That we henceforth should no longer serve sin. Listen to what Paul says. For he that is dead is freed from sin. We've been crucified with Christ. We're not under the bondage of sin anymore. We're freed from sin. This absolutely places a great spiritual emphasis on obedience. Men may try their best and often do try their best to deny it. Scripture still commands it. It still is necessary. Romans 16, verses 25 and 26. The Apostle Paul says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. James says you have faith, you do well. Even the devils believe and tremble. They have no obedience. I hope I did not misspeak with my, in my first point this morning and, and downplay obedience too much. Faith is necessary and faith is where it begins. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without obedience, 
we cannot be saved. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Verse 22 and 23. See that you've purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Faith without obedience is dead. It's dead. It's dead faith. No life. No hope. No future. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. Jesus says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. People have asked me, why is baptism not in the second part? Why doesn't he say he that believes and doesn't believe nor is baptized is damned? Well, if we're baptized without faith, we're still lost. We're still in our sins. Acts 16, verse 31 and they said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house, their, his house, the Philippian jailer's house, had to believe just like he did. That's what he wanted to know when he said, Sirs, what must I do? I was asked the other day, Don't you believe? Don't you think? No. I'll get it right in a minute. I was asked the other day, do you think that you don't even have to believe? Because I was arguing with someone for baptism, trying to encourage that person to see the necessity of being baptized. Don't you think that you have to believe? Well, yes. Faith is where the whole process begins. That's why the Apostle Paul references at least twice in the book of Romans the obedience of faith. Faith is where it begins. The gospel is commands to be obeyed. Baptism is a part of that. Repentance is a part of that. Peter says to the people on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Repentance and remission of sins in Luke 24, verse 27, should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Folks, if we take away one of those steps, our salvation is ineffective. Our obedience, I should say, is ineffective. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But... Whoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. How do we deny Jesus Christ? By our life. By our obedience or by our refusal to obey the gospel. Paul continues in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Faith and repentance. Faith and confession. Faith and baptism. You see how they're joined in every section of Scripture. We must believe. We also must repent, confess, and be baptized in water for the remission of sins. I have one more point this morning. The gospel is promises to be believed. Think about this. All oh, there's such hope and such great promises available to those who believe and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. The gospel has gone out to the entire world. The end can come at any time. But think about what Jesus is saying here. Previously, even in Jesus' own life, the goodness of God and the law that God had given to give men any hope at all was reserved for the Jews and for the Jews only. And now Jesus is saying this gospel is going to be preached to all the world. Colossians chapter 1 verse 6, which is coming to you as it is in all the world and brings forth fruit as it does also in you since the day ye heard of it and know the grace of God in truth. All contrary to our Calvinistic and Baptist friends. Very contrary to what popular dogma is today. The good news of Jesus Christ isn't just for one or two people or just for a few select people that God has set aside. The good news of Jesus Christ is for whosoever believes. John chapter 3 verse 16. Colossians 1 verse 23, Paul says, If you continue in the faith grounded and saddled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Who? Do you see the scope of the gospel here? Every creature which is under heaven. Colossians 1 verse 23. The gospel contains in it the promise that all men whosoever will can be saved. The promise of remission of sins. Back in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Jesus says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. We see the pattern. It started in Jerusalem, and we see how it spread to Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. Repentance, that gives hope that a man's life can be changed, that we are no longer bound under sin, that we're no longer cursed and chained by sin. And remission of sins. Remission. Our sins can be wiped away washed away. Then we have the promise of a new creation. For this cause in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 6 was the gospel preached unto him also to them that are dead that they might be judged according to men in the flesh but live according to God in the spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 Therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Repentance and remission of sins. Is our life hopeless? Repentance, remission of sins. All things are passed away. All things are become new. There is, in the gospel, promised entrance into the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. What was that? The apostle Paul preached the kingdom of God. Preached that all men can enter the kingdom. Jesus promises peace to be found in his gospel. Peace I leave with you, John 14, verse 27. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We find in the gospel the promised return of Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Some of my favorite scriptures. I'll memorize it someday. Which is manifest to, a manifest token of the judgment of God, of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of God and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. The promised return of Jesus Christ. For those who have obeyed the gospel, oh, it's a glorious day. We look forward to it. We should look forward to it and think, is this the day? Is today the day? those who have not or for those who have slipped back into the beggarly elements of this world we should look forward to it with fear and trepidation because he's coming with judgment not with reward we find in the gospel lastly promised paradise the hope which is laid up for you in heaven Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 1 verse 5 whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel Folks, this is the gospel. That is the power of God into salvation. Because it gives men who are lost in sin, without hope in this world, something to hope for, something to look forward to, something to believe in. It gives men the strength to have their lives changed. This is the gospel. That is God's power through salvation. Because Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, gave His own precious blood to redeem men from the sin. This is the gospel. That is the power of God in salvation. It's not some poor preacher boy. It's not some doctrine of faith or organization. It is the gospel. That is the power of God in salvation. To the new first. And also to the Greek. We'll talk about the rest of that next morning today, Lord willing. If you're here this morning and you've not yet obeyed the gospel, will you come? 
believeth that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. That's the faith part. That's where it begins. Repenting of our sin, of your sin. Turning your back on sin, the flesh, and the world, and the devil. Making confession like the Ethiopian unit did. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then being 